Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, Disciples Journey. This episode is covering, we will be covering uh, Alma chapter 39. So let's dive right in. So chapter 39 immediately starts off different than his other chapter, the other address, the other addresses to his sons, uh, Helaman and Shiblon. He almost immediately starts saying, look, have you not seen the steadiness of your brothers? You've had good examples. Like it's almost a, you know, better than this type of type of thing. And that's exactly what it turns into is, you know, he says, you have, you know, boasted in your own strength and wisdom. And this pride led to your downfall, thinking that you were safe for whatever reason. And what did that lead to? It led to him forsaking the ministry and it go over into the land of Siron among the borders of the Lamanites after the harlot Isabel. Now other people did it too, he says, but you should have known better. That's no excuse for you. And that's, so that's the, that's the tone that this within the first few verses takes is Alma's not shy about calling his son out. And, you know, in, in this week's overview episode, I talked about that and touched on that, that we have a responsibility um, President Oaks taught to teach the truth, to teach the plan of salvation. And Alma took that to heart and immediately says to his son, here's, here's where you went wrong. This is wrong. Now we get to chapter 42 and he's going to specifically mention and say to his son, I'm not doing this because I joy in it. And the only reason I wanted to make, bring these painful things up to you is so that it spurs you to repentance. That's, that's Alma's in, entire intent. And in that way, is very much following in the Savior's footsteps, following in the Spirit. You think the Savior loved harrowing Alma's soul and the pain that he had to go through? No, but yes, in that it's what led Alma the, to his repentance. It's what led Alma to him. And so Alma, Alma's, you know, kind of scratching at these wounds here, and you're like, oh, man. Hidden, head, hidden it, hitting them head on. But he does that out of love, knowing that the Savior and the atonement of Jesus Christ is what his son Corianton needs. So, a couple things here that's interesting. Uh, not sure it means much, but verse 3 mentions the harlot Isabel. It's kind of interesting because there are not many women named in the Book of Mormon. There are women mentioned but not so much by name. You got like Sariah. You've got um, Isabel, obviously. You've got Abish, the Lamanitish woman. Um, Eve is mentioned. Uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, is mentioned. Um, you know, and that maybe one more. I think there are five or six named in the Book of Mormon. So just interesting that this harlot Isabel gets gets this naming. So take it that for what's worth. Just interesting side note. Uh, second interesting thing as we get into this is obviously Alma specifically mentions Corianton's sexual sin, and he's going to go into why that's so bad. And I've got some quotes here from general authorities to talk about that. Uh, but also something that's easy to overlook 
kind of when you get consumed, look at, looking at just like the sexual sin part side of things is, uh, the other really grievous thing that Coranta did was forsake the ministry. Um, he, he, he left his responsibility and because he had, he had that responsibility, his sexual sin was made all the worse because he had murdered sons and daughters of God against the light, murdered their light. Go back to chapter 36 and Alma talking about what his experience and what he had, he, how he explained it. Um, he said, yeah, and I had murdered many of his children or rather led them away to destruct, to destruction. Yea, And in fine, so great had been my iniquities that the very thought of coming into the presence of God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. And now he's seen his son do the same thing. He had forsaken his ministry and his bad example had, had done the same thing had, uh, that he, he explained that he had done. All right. So let's read some quotes about, um, these, this type of sinning, uh, General authorities say it much uh, better than I do. So let's start with, uh, this actually is in the Come Follow Me manual this week from Elder Holland. Clearly among his greatest concerns uh, regarding mortality are how, in the his in this sentence, by the way, is, is God. So clearly among his greatest concerns regarding mortality are how one gets into this world and how one gets out of it. He has set very strict limits in these matters. Human intimacy is reserved for a married couple because it is the ultimate symbol of a total union, a total, a totality and a union ordained and defined by God. Marriage was intended to mean the complete merger of man and a woman. This is a union of such completeness that we use the word seal to convey its eternal promise. And the Lord and Christ, and the scriptures teach us that when a man leaves his parents, and joins to his wife, they are no longer twain, meaning no longer two, but one flesh, right? There's a unity. Uh, C.S. Lewis taught the same type of thing that Elder Holland is talking about here. Uh, to summarize what he taught, uh, one of the reasons that sexual sin and sex, uh, sexual behavior outside of marriage is so reprehensible is because it seeks to isolate one form of unity while ignoring all of the other forms. Uh and as Elder Holland said, human intimacy is reserved for married couple because it is the ultimate symbol of of total union, a totality and a union ordained and defined by and defined by God. So, uh, but when we seek to just pin, pull out one form of that type of unity while disregarding the rest, it is literally, in in a real sense, a violation of the nature of of marriage of the unity that is meant for us a violation of God's law of unity uh, because we're seeking to isolate this one area. Um, Elder Holland pretty bluntly taught about why sexual transgression is so serious. He said in exploiting the body of another, which means exploiting his or her soul, one desecrates the atonement of Christ, which saved that soul and which makes possible the gift of eternal life. And when one walks the sun of righteousness, one steps into a realm of heat hotter and holier than noonday sun. You cannot do so and not be burned. Please never say, who does it hurt? Why does why not a little freedom? I can transgress now and repent later. Please don't be so foolish and so cruel. You cannot with impunity crucify Christ afresh. 
flee fornication, uh, Paul cries, and flee anything like unto it. The Doctrine and Covenants adds, why? Well, for one reason, because of the incalculable suffering in both body and spirit endured by the Savior of the world, so that we could flee. We owe him something for that. Indeed, we owe him everything for that. Ye are not your own, Paul says. Ye have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. In sexual transgression, the soul is at stake, the body and the spirit. Um, uh, Joseph Smith taught that all sins shall be forgiven except the, the sin against the Holy Ghost, for Jesus will save all except the sons of perdition. Uh, so this is actually, I'll save that for just a minute here. Um, so, uh, Elder Holland, I came across quite a few t- talks from him, Elder Packer as well, President Packer, about the seriousness of the, this type of sin. Uh, that's that's kind of where I'm going to leave that. Alma essentially does the same thing. He he hits it hard and head on at the beginning of his address to Corianton, but then he moves in to some other things. So, for example, he tells him, well, I guess the first thing he immediately pivots to, which is, I think, enlightening, is repentance. Look, here's your sin. You forsake the ministry, your sexual sins. Immediately, where does he pivot to? Repent. Repent and forsake your your sins. And go no more after the lust of your eyes, but cross yourself and all these things. So the term, the phrase cross yourself is seen a few times in the scriptures. Um, 3rd Nephi chapter 12, which is uh, in the Book of Mormon, very similar, almost word for word, but not quite, of Matthew 5. The, Christ, uh, the Savior uses that phrase. And what we can learn from using the use in that phrase uh, context and this context is that it seems that, that means to uh, it's it's, a, it's self-mastery to cross yourself is self-mastery forsaking your sins and uh, going no more after the lust of your eyes uh, Elder Oaks talks about that about going no more after the lust of your eyes um, and how that can apply to us in today's world with technology and how Satan is just can can be like all around us so he said our Savior emphasized the importance of sexual purity when he taught that it was sinful for a man to look, even look upon a woman to lust after her. We are surrounded by the, uh, the promotional literature of illicit sexual relations on the printed page and on the screen. For your own good, avoid it. Pornographic or erotic stories and pictures are worse than filthy or polluted food. The body has a defense to rid itself of unwholesome food. With a few fatal exceptions, bad food will only make you sick but do no permanent harm. In contrast, a person who sees filthy or who feasts upon filthy stories or pornographic or erotic pictures and literature records them in this marvelous retrieval system we call a brain. The brain won't vomit back filth. Once recorded, it will always remain subject to recall, to recall, flashing its perverted images across your mind and drawing you away from the wholesome things in life. I want to pause here um, and just kind of make a note of world events. Uh, upcoming this Thursday, um, July 30th is World Against Human Trafficking Day. And my mind goes back to early 2000s. Um, And the reason I go back to this time is because being like a 12-year-old at the time, you know, so 2001, I'm going to age myself, date myself here. Uh... I'm, I, I become a deacon. So I start going to priesthood session of conference with my dad. And 
not really being familiar with what pornography was, I remember the first several years of my uh, like priesthood holding years going to, to conference. President Hinckley, uh, specifically, Elder Faust, President Faust, I mean, I'm sure there were others, but specifically talking a lot about the plague of pornography. So here we are some 20 years later, and, uh, you know, I know this this is a Come Follow Me podcast, but shameless plug for Operation Underground Railroad. It's OURrescue.org. So there's a member of the church who started this organization, and its sole purpose is freeing modern-day slaves, most of which are sexual slaves, right? And there's an estimated 30 to 40 million slaves in the world, and about 10 million of them are kids, and a large portion of those are uh, are used in sex exploitation. The United States is the number one consumer of child exploitation videos, child pornography. So here we are 20 years later, 20 years. I mean, 2001, 2000, that's the early days of the internet, right? Where the internet's really becoming a thing. Think about how much more pervasive the internet is. You hold it in your hand now on your phone and what you can find on, like, on the internet. You want to talk about prophetic advice? We were warned decades ago by a prophet of God about the pervasive problem of pornography and that it, what it would become. Uh, and talk about you. I mean, you talk about sexual sins and Coriantin and these and these issues. These are not. These are things that we face in on a daily basis. If if we don't prepare ourselves. It's much easier to accidentally come across something like this than it is to accidentally not. You have to purposely not. And that's what Elder Oaks in the in the in this quote I just read is teaching us that don't even not even a little because your body has a built-in system when you take in something it doesn't like. You know we call it food poisoning, and like you said, with very few you know there's some few exceptions that might kill us, but our body will reject it. It goes out. One way or another, your body gets rid of it, expunges it, and and then you go on. And there's no long-term effects, typically, right? But your brain does not do that. Brains don't do that. They hold on to them, and Satan holds on to it, so that at the most inopportune times, he can flash some image in front of your, your mind, or some text that you read, right? And so that's why Alma's teaching his son, like, it, not even a little, Corianton, forsake it. He says, repent and forsake. Go after, does he say, and go after the lust of your eyes just a little bit. No, go no more after the lust of your eyes. All right. So uh, how can we apply that in our life? And I, I think that's the point that I was trying to make here is we have to be proactive about that. We have to be proactive about that in our life, in our kids' lives, um, in teaching them internet safety and learning internet safety and recognizing and knowing what to do uh, when if things do come up and knowing that we have to always have our, our armor up. It's, it's a world where we walk out the door. It used to be you had to walk out the door. 
It's a world where you wake up, you roll over, you grab your phone, and Satan can be shooting fiery darts at you. Immediately. You haven't even left your bed. You haven't left your room. Right? Uh, we have to be prepared from, from the moment we open our eyes. So Alma goes on, talks to his son about um, how he was a bad example. I, I mentioned this in the uh, overview section. He doesn't spend very much time on this, but a lot of the Zoramites didn't believe because his bad example. He says, Suffer not, self, suffer not yourself to be led away by vain and foolish uh, thing. Suffer not the devil to lead away your heart. Uh, again, after those wicked harlots, Behold, O my son, how great iniquity you brought upon the Zoramites, for when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my words. And now the Spirit of the Lord doth say unto me, Command thy children to do good, lest they lead away the hearts of many people to destruction. Therefore I command you, my son, in the fear of God, that you refrain from your iniquities. So here again we have Alma saying, I'm not going to shy away from this because God told me that I need to correct you. There are consequences for your actions. Uh, President Joseph Fielding Smith said, I think of the greatest crime in all the world is to lead men and women, the children of God, away from the true principles. We see in the world today philosophies of various kinds tending to destroy faith, faith in God, faith in principles of the gospel. What a dreadful thing that is. The Lord says, if we labor all our day to save but one soul, how great will our joy be with him? On the other hand, how great will our sorrow and our con- condemnation, condemnation if through our acts... We have led one soul away from his truth. He who blinds one soul, he who spreads error, he who destroys through his teaching divine truth, truth that would lead a man to the kingdom of God and to the fullness, to its fullness, how great shall his condemnation and his punishment in eternity. For the destruction of a soul is the destruction of the greatest thing that has ever been created. So I say that and I think back to a conversation that I had with one of my companions on my mission talking about this and he got like overwhelmed with the weight of it. And it's like, well, what if I don't mean to? And what if it's like I slip up and then and here's the great thing. The atonement of Christ. The only failure in life is failing to utilize the atonement of Jesus Christ. We will all make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes will be seen by others. Absolutely. And they may cause them to question the truthfulness of the gospel. But through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all things can be made right and will be made, will be made right. So that logical, that line of thinking, hold on to that line of thinking, right? Because it's this, it's this weight. So Alma punches his son right in the nose basically and says, I'm going to hit you head on. Here's your sins and this is why it's bad. You need to, your, your bad example led people away, and that's a, terrible. And as President Joseph Felix Smith said, that's like the worst thing you could possibly do. And now, so now there's this weight, right? It's like, well, no, that doesn't seem fair. Like, what if I hold on to that for the rest of the chapters? Because Alma's going to address those questions. Alma's going to address how the atonement is important and how mercy and justice work. And that, yeah, we might make mistakes, but through the atonement they can be made, they may they are made right they are made, we are made whole broken things are mended so hold on to that uh closing out chapter 39 here um 
Alma says, and now my son, I would say somewhat unto you concerning the coming of Christ. So he starts, this is where he starts to really perceive the questions he has. All right. What questions does he have? Well, is there even going to be a Christ? And how can you possibly know about that? Remember, remember core horse teaching? Remember the knee horse teaching that there would be no savior? Corantin's wondering, well, how can there be a Christ? How can I be saved? And like, how, how can I be, like, if all this weight of me making a mistake, like, how can I, how can that be fixed? There's no Christ. How can you know there's a Christ? And Alma teaches him, look, time doesn't matter. It's easier. God can reveal it now or in the past or what doesn't matter to God. He, it's easy. Is it not as easy at this time for the Lord to send his angel to declare these glad tidings unto us as unto the children, un, unto our children, or as after the time of his coming? So he's saying, God can send an angel now and tell us these things. God can send an angel at the coming of Christ. He can send him whenever. That's how we can know. We know because God has sent angels to declare these things unto us. This is a theme that Alma uses, angels declaring tidings. Chapter 13, chapter 16, um, several other places. But the Lord sends messages, messengers, which is what angel, uh, the word angel, the, the English word angel comes from a Greek word that sounds very similar to the word angel that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, but it means messenger. So God sends messengers to teach us. And that's how we know these things. And that's what he teaches his son. All right. So that's chapter 39. And he starts to, like I said, he starts to answer the questions. So first he kind of hits them head on. And then that creates some more questions. And Coranton had some underlying questions which were leading to his bad behavior. Uh, I had a mission president who once taught us that if people are not keeping commitments, i.e. meaning if people are not keeping the commandments... The first question you need to ask is, how is their faith in the Savior? And how can you increase their faith in the Savior? And so that is exactly what Alma is now going to do. So he, he confronts the problem. And now he's going to address the underlying concerns and questions that and doubts that Coranton had. So he can bolster his faith in Christ. Because when we have faith in Christ, our faith in Christ naturally leads us to act and to follow him. So... Thanks for listening to chapter this uh, or this episode about chapter 39. I hope you'll join me on the next episode about chapter 40. Thanks for listening everyone and enjoy your study.